finished up our series on this rock. So where Christ promises to build his church and, and why and, and what is that about? And we saw that the foundation is Jesus Christ. Uh, thank you for, for that scripture reading to remind us of the gospel, the precious good news of Jesus Christ that, that is everything to us. That we find our identity in Jesus. And we discover that from, from week one. The church's identity is wrapped up in Jesus. It's about him. It's not about us. It's about the work he is doing in us. And then we also saw that Jesus treasures the church. He loves her. So unfortunately, that is not the, the leading sentiment today. I think you'll find it surveying a lot of people that church is irrelevant, uh, the need for church is past, or maybe that's just a crutch you go to when things are really out of control, show up at church. And Jesus loves the church. Of course, the church is the people that he purchased with his own blood and that have received him as Savior and believed in him. Then last week, we remembered through communion and the study of the word that this good news comes at a cost. And this foundation, this gospel that was that was laid for the church required Jesus' very life, his blood, that he willingly laid down for us because of his love. And then he was raised from the dead on the third day to pave that, that way of eternal life, that living hope before us. So that is the good news. That's the rock that Christ is building his church on. Today we get to see what does it look like when God keeps his promises. And he builds his church. And we see in one of the most amazing books of the Bible, one of, one of my favorite books, of course I can say that about, about all of them, but, but seriously, one of my favorite books, the incredible true story about how just a handful of, of imperfect, bumbling disciples turn the world upside down. They launched a movement that would reach millions, one day billions, for Christ. That would take Christianity from, from this upper room gathering to be the dominant religious belief in the Roman world, in the Western world. And it continued from there. Um, Jesus promised to build his church. And Acts is the story of how he began that work and continues that work to this very day. So the word God is living and active. The story of Acts is absolutely uh, that way as well. Even though it is a narrative, it is a story telling what happened in the past. It's not ancient history. It is his story that continues to today and that you and I have a part in. So turn with me to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. I'll tell you a little bit more about Acts after we read this opening passage and we let the Word do the speaking here. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. If you're joining us, uh, watching online here and the recording. Welcome. We're so glad that you are uh, following along with us online. I invite you to join us in person. We'd love to have you seated here uh, with this wonderful group of people studying the word in person together. Here's what the word says. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had Chosen, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, 
Will you in this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. What an amazing story. Now, kids, you have those coloring sheets there, and it's a map. It's a map with arrows that show movement, right? Do you see that? The arrows are showing which way the gospel spread. That, that comes from verse 8 there. You'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So you see the arrows spreading there. And I cut off Miss Lacey earlier, and that was my fault. She was going to explain to you about the coloring sheet. And its purpose is to help you understand, wow, the good news about Jesus really did go all around the world. We're going to look at that. So I want you, when you color that sheet, keep a close watch on those arrows because that shows that Jesus is keeping his promise to take the good news to all people. Now, adults, we see this story as crucial. We need to see God's plan for the church. We must see that, not only for ourselves, for our sake, to understand where we are where we find ourselves in this story, but we, we want to understand why did Jesus promise to build his church? Why the church? Where does the church go? What does the church do? What does the church look like? And does the church matter? All of these questions find their answer here in the book of Acts. We see three important components of God's plan. Three important components. The first is that Jesus continues his gospel work. He continues his gospel work. You have to see that. And, and Luke, who is the author of Acts, makes sure that you understand that. He says in verse 1, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Wait, so what's the first book? If Acts is, is book 2, what's, what's, what's book 1? What is the gospel according to Luke? So Luke and Acts are actually one unified work. You can read them separately, but don't forget that they were actually written for the same audience and to continue the story. That's why the passage that Caleb read at the end of the gospel according to Luke also lines up with the beginning of the book of Acts. What was Jesus all about? His suffering and, and being raised and appearing to the disciples and speaking about the kingdom of God and promising that the Holy Spirit would come and would fill the church and move through them. So as we start book two, don't forget about book one, the gospel according to Luke. So Luke was a hu the human author, right? And what he was doing is he was compiling eyewitness testimony of disciples. He was doing this for someone named Theophilus, so probably a, a, a well-known, uh, perhaps a patron of the church, a supporter Someone who, who gave of himself to the church, and he had questions about the history of 
uh, the Christian faith through Jesus? What, what was it that everyone saw in Jesus? Because I haven't personally met Jesus, so what's, what's the deal about Jesus? And this should give us great confidence in the faith that what Jesus did was not done in a closet in some room somewhere. Our faith is historically accurate. It is verifiable. Many eyewitnesses confirmed what the apostles are sharing. It's not just some message from a pulpit that people are blindly accepting. As they talk about the places that Jesus went and the words that he said and the miracles that he did, there's people in the church that say, yep, I was there for that. I saw that. That was my grandma. That's the town I was in. Yeah, they were talking about that for months. There's no way you could just pull this over somebody's eyes and, and make up a fact. No, there's a first book of all that he began to do and teach. It's all about Jesus. So guess what? Is part number two about something different than Jesus? Now that we've got Jesus figured out, let's move on. Now you could call uh, uh, the, the second book here what Jesus continued to do and teach. Jesus' ministry continues. Even though he ascends to heaven, we see that his gospel ministry continues. And the word is the primary agent in the book of Acts. The spirit with the word both come from Christ. He is the living word. And you'll see that the word cannot be stopped. This discipleship movement continues on. There's no stopping it even when persecution hits, even when there's geographical barriers, when there's physical barriers when there's people who do not want to hear and they stop their ears and they kill the messengers the gospel still spreads look at verse 2 we see that jesus also ministered through the holy spirit in part one and he continues to minister through the spirit in part two remember jesus did not begin his public ministry until he was anointed by the holy spirit when he was baptized by immersion in water in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, he also was baptized by the Spirit. The Spirit descended on him, and then he began his ministry. So if Jesus does not do anything of his ministry apart from the Spirit of God, what should that tell us about his work today? Into part two, the Spirit is essential for the work of God. If God's not a part of it, we don't want to be part of it. Now, Jesus could have. He had the power to preach. He had the power to heal because he's the son of God. But he's always walking in step with the spirit and with the favor and the blessing of God. And Jesus' ministry continues to his apostles. That word apostle means messenger. His messengers, his sent ones. Jesus says, okay, I have done the work to this point and everything that i've trained in you and showed you to do now i am going to send my spirit to you and you will go and do you will go and make disciples of all nations you're my witnesses the, the fact that we share the gospel today i'm a witness of jesus christ it's not my message and i'm not the authority behind it i don't stand up here as having any kind of authority in myself the second that I close this word and I start speaking off script, there's no authority. There's nothing binding for your life. It comes from the word of God, comes from Jesus. We're his witnesses. And verse 3 says that he suffered and showed himself alive through many proofs. 
And then he taught his disciples about the kingdom of God, which is what he was teaching them about before his death and resurrection. But now the kingdom of God, it, it, it all comes into clear focus now that we understand why Jesus died to give us access into the kingdom so that the rule of God would extend even to the most stubborn hearts. Heart work is the most important work. The gospel work is the most important work. So we must remember all the awesome things that happen in the book of Acts. Don't lose focus of the gospel. That's the whole point. Without the gospel, none of it matters. None of it makes sense. But Jesus' gospel ministry continues. Even today in a little church plant meeting in North Sarasota, this should be super encouraging for people in this community to know that God's not done with them. That God is working, and he's starting something new here, and we get to be a part of it. The gospel ministry continues. Whatever you've been through up to today, whatever you've been through the last week, once you know that Jesus cares and that there's good news for you, there's hope for you today. Even if, you've, if you're one of those people that are like, I've fallen through the cracks, or uh, I'm dealing with hurt, or I've... I've got people that are dealing with things that are, that are way too big for me. And I don't know. I don't know how to grasp grasp with that. And how do I? How do I? It's the gospel. It's always been the gospel that is the power to save and to heal and to restore. The second important component we see of God's plan is that He's powerfully working in us. And by us, I mean those of us who have received Christ as our Savior and been changed by the gospel, and His Spirit is within us. He works powerfully. Look at verse 4. Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. He says in verse 5, John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So stay here in Jerusalem. I've given you a mission. Go and make disciples of all nations. Go preach the gospel of the whole creation. But wait here, because you can't do this without me. You need my power. You need my spirit. So wait for the promise of the Father. I love that phrase, the promise of the Father. Uh, I was reading a, a commentary. Daryl Bach is a, a theologian that wrote a huge, thick commentary on Acts. And I love what he said here, so I'm going to quote him. He says, a new movement, this, this movement, the Acts of the Apostles, is really rooted in old, divinely made promises. So because God is faithful to who he is and to love and to seek and save the lost and, and to cover sins and to uh, provide eternal life and rescue, because he made those promises in the past, we see the fulfillment of those promises here in the church, in the lives of the people he came to save. If you want some cross-references, write down Isaiah 32, 15. Isaiah 32, 15, that the, the Spirit will empower you, will, will clothe you with power from on high. Ezekiel 36 is another passage that points to a living temple whose Spirit is the Lord. Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32. I don't know how many of us have read the book of Joel recently, but, but the promise is there about the Spirit coming. And, and, and the amazing wonders that he would do as a sign to his people Israel. Like God keeps his promises. I can go all day about what is, what is the purpose of the, the miraculous gifts. But in a nutshell, God keeps his promises. And he wants to work powerfully in and through us. 
He promised to cleanse, and he will, through his Holy Spirit. He baptizes believers with the Holy Spirit. He cleanses us. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses first in Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. Now, as you think about Jerusalem, why Jerusalem? Would it, it have, have just made sense for the disciples to stay in Galilee? Which is where Jesus spent a good number of those 40 days teaching about the kingdom of God. You'll see that in the other gospel accounts. So why Jerusalem? I believe it's because the temple was in Jerusalem. That was the organized system of worship that God had laid out in the Old Covenant. But he made it very clear that God does not dwell in houses made with human hands. Think about that. He does not dwell in houses made with human hands. I mean, he made all the stars. He's bigger than the entire universe. So what is one house? What is one building? That, that's nothing to God. So he tells them to stay in Jerusalem. And it made me think in my Bible reading just this past week, those of you that are in that Bible reading plan with me in the ESV study Bible, you saw 2 Chronicles 7. You saw when Solomon finished building the temple for the Lord, and they performed all the sacrifices and the cleansing rituals and the priests are up there. God sent his glory cloud and it filled the Holy of Holies and it filled the whole temple. And so all the priests, the musicians, the Levites, they had to get out of there. There was no room for them because the holiness of God dwelled there. But not permanently. The temple was not permanent. The temple looked forward to a day where God would actually change the hearts of his people. And instead of a separation from holiness, God would come in and he would purify and make his people holy unto himself. And we become the temple. That's why stay in Jerusalem. It's not about the building. It's not about the temple. Look here at my people, my church. This is where I'm working. This is my power. God's powerfully working in us. And we have unity with God. We have fellowship with God. The blood of Jesus has brought us near. And even as you read further in Acts, you'll see a growing divide between those who cling to the building, cling to the old sacrifices and the rituals and the old way of doing things, and those who are moving with the Spirit of God. Those who follow Jesus and receive him, they receive the power of the Holy Spirit. That's where his glory dwells, with his people. But you know, the church today can get it just as wrong as those religious leaders. We don't like to think of ourselves as hypocrites. We don't like to think of ourselves as, as you know, Pharisees or the Sadducees. They, they killed Jesus. No, that, that, that wouldn't be me, right? No, it's very easy for the church today to get consumed with numbers, to get consumed with programs and ministries and buildings and building plans and and uh, to have tons of cash in church accounts for that rainy day it's just really easy to take comfort in the system of religion and one thing covid did is he showed churches just how crazy that thinking is what happens when you don't have the crowds to depend on what happens when giving goes down what happens when you have staff members uh, turn around and, and, and leave or, or people actually die in your congregation that, that you depended on to serve and now 
The Lord says, depend on me. What, what do we do? We take a look at Acts and we see we've got to rest in Jesus. The greatest work that God is doing is not out there. It's here. In our hearts. Do we really believe that it's his greatest work? Of all. The fact that God took me, a rotten sinner, and cleaned me up, and changed my life, and saved me. And today he is still saving me and, and growing me to be like him. I'll, I'll never get over that. And I hope I never do. My cup overflows because of him. So Jesus says, wait for me. Before you get to work and do, before you go and make disciples, wait for me. You need me and the powerful work I'm doing in you. Here's the third component we see of God's plan. In verses 6 through 11, and, and don't worry, we'll come back to verse 8. Um, uh, verses 6 to 11, Jesus says, um, I, I'm directing you to accomplish my mission. So Jesus directs us to accomplish his mission. He says, you're my witnesses. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So he fills us with his spirit to empower us for his mission. And he's giving direct directions as the king of the church, the whole church. He says, I want you to reach the nations and tell them who I am. Fill the earth with my glory. But don't forget point number two, right? The most important work is heart work. This is work in the church. So how do we fill the earth with the glory of the Lord? We fill the earth with missional worshipers who make much about Jesus and everything we say and do. And we tell others about him. We can't stop talking about him. I mean, after all, he ascended to heaven. So he died for our sins. He was raised from the dead. And then he ascended to heaven like some invisible elevator just lifted up. And the disciples are looking on. Who has ever done that? Who could ever do that again? And then he's gone. And where does he go? He ascends the throne of the Father. He's seated on the throne of God. And he's interceding for his church. He's directing his church. He is Lord over the church. And if you think back to the Old Testament, there's someone else who ascended to heaven, not in that same way, but in a chariot of fire with horses. Okay? You know who I'm thinking of? Elijah. Elijah, the Old Testament prophet, and that's how God took him home, with a chariot of fire. It was an amazing sight, I'm sure. And Elisha, his, his disciple, his mentee, is standing there watching this, and, and Elijah's mantle floats down to the ground. And he takes up that mantle, and he carries and continues on the work that Elijah was doing. But here's the big difference between Elisha and us. Yes, Jesus ascended to heaven, and yes, he delegates and, and, and entrusts his ministry to his followers, but we are all prophets of God. We are all his messengers. Now, an Old Testament prophet, that's a special thing. That was a rare thing. There are not many prophets, and oftentimes they were getting killed for speaking the truth about God, so there are even fewer prophets. But today, the church has 
direction from Jesus Christ. We can look up this word, we can study this word, we can tell our neighbors, thus says the Lord. This is the truth. And I don't need to have some, some title. You know, so, so don't say, oh, well, Josh Thomas, he's a prophet. Okay, that's not the point. The point is I have direction from Jesus. And he says to go make disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. How amazing is that? That we get to be his messengers. We get to be the voice of God. So we need to stick to the script of God, don't we? Can't be going off script there and saying whatever I think. Because when I speak, I want to speak the truth. And I want to speak it in love. I want to speak the way that, that Jesus spoke. Mm -hmm. Now the direction you see from Jerusalem, kids, on that map there, flowing out to the uttermost parts of the earth, right? Look at your map there. In chapters 1 to 6 of Acts, you see God's mighty work in Jerusalem. And then you see what happens in chapter 7 when the gospel spreads to Judea and Samaria. Chapter 7 through 12. And then you'll see what happens when the gospel is unleashed to the uttermost parts of the earth. There's no softening. it. Chapters 13 and beyond. And the book of Acts actually ends with, with Paul in Rome. And he's going to testify of Jesus before Caesar. So the very, very, very throne, so to speak, of the civilized world. Everyone is going to hear about Jesus now. There's no stopping it. And that's where the book ends. Well, where to go next? Well, we know that it went to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that's in part why you and I are here today. Because God worked powerfully through his people and is directing them to accomplish his mission. So question for you, church. Do we have a heart today? to reach our community for Christ? Do we care about the lost? Because God certainly does. And I hope that it encourages you that God cares about the dying and lost souls in Florida, in India, in Ireland, in Argentina, all over the world. God cares about these people, and that's why his heart says, go, go. This is my mission, this is my heart, you have the blessing to be a part of it, to go and to love your neighbors and to share the good news about Christ with them. So love, let love be our motivation. And love guards us against any kind of fear that would try to stop us. Because I can tell you, every time we go out and we're, we're handing out flyers, or I start a, a gospel conversation with someone, the Spirit brings that about. I'm just able to, to, to ask them about their relationship with Jesus. I get nervous. I feel, that, I feel that nervousness rise in me and, and, you know, what if they take this the wrong way? What if they shut the door in my face? What if they walk away and they don't want to hear anything I have to say? I feel that fear. So I have to remember, I don't know what's going on in this person's life, but God does. And God loves them infinitely more than I'll ever understand. And he has brought me here for such a time as this to share the good news with them. So does it really matter how they treat me or how they respond to the gospel. I hope they respond positively. I hope they believe it. But if they don't, I have successfully shown the love of Jesus by communicating it to them, by taking that time. Focus on the love that God has for them, for me, and is working through me. And when love is our primary motivation, it also guards us against drifting off mission. Do you see the questions that the disciples immediately ask here? When Jesus says, look at the work I'm going to do in you. I'm going to fill you with the power of my spirit. You are going to reach the world for me. 
and the disciples say, hey, is this a good time for you to set up your kingdom throne? You know, like we were talking about before you died, Jesus, remember? And the disciples were jockeying about who's going to sit on Jesus' right hand, who's going to sit on his left hand, and what positions do they have in the kingdom. And so it's just like today, and we all suffer from this. Just get on Twitter for five seconds and look at what Christians are saying, and you realize we suffer mightily from mission drift. We want to talk about the end times and only the end times. We want to talk about politics. We want to talk about the influence of the media. Should we wear masks? Should we not wear masks? Uh, uh, one of my friends was talking to his parents. One of them claims to love Jesus and have a relationship with him and has grown up in the church, but has got wrapped up in all the controversy of what's going on in the world and, and all of this governmental conspiracy and, and uh, what political controversies. And he says, well, are you going to church on Sunday? Are you staying current in your relationship with Christ? And, well, no, no, I haven't been to church in, in a long time. Don't you think that's a priority? He asks his parents, and the parent is honest and says, no, I don't think so. I think what I'm doing right now is the most important thing to make people aware of what is going on in our government. By God's grace, my friend gave his parents a nudge and said, you know what? That's not the most important thing. It is our relationship to Jesus Christ our love for him, and our love for others. And, and I, I'm grateful that it, it sounds like his parent received that well. At least she was honest. Are we that honest when we get distracted from what's really most important? We always think what we're focused on is the most important thing. Jesus says, my mission is the most important thing. That's why I came, and this is why I'm sending you. And too many Christians are sitting on the sideline today. They have the gifts. They have the power of God within them. But we're distracted. So let's focus on Jesus, shall we? Let's focus on being his messengers. This is his plan. And don't forget about the yous in verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses all to the ends of the earth. I want to use you. I want to work through you. This is an every believer mission. This isn't the pastor's job. It's not the worship leader's job. It's not the Bible study leader's job. It's all of our jobs to reach the nations with the gospel. And Acts 1, 1 through 11 shows us this is the greatest mission. It's the great commission. I'm sending you to continue my work. Do we see that today? Is what we're doing this morning a continuation of what Jesus Christ did 2,000 years ago? Or have we tried to come up with a better idea of doing church? Or, or do we have our focus elsewhere rather than what God has called us to do? Let's pray that God will keep us on mission. So we saw from our passage this morning, God's plan for the church. The first component of that plan is that Jesus' ministry continues. The gospel ministry is most important. Secondly, he works powerfully in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we take that light, that glory cloud, so to speak, to the nations. Thirdly, he directs us to accomplish his mission. And we haven't reached that goal yet, have we? 
So today we continue on in that mission. I'm going to have Caleb come up and, and join me, and we're going to lead a final song. And as he comes, I want us to think, where am I in my relationship to Jesus? Have I forgotten the powerful work that God wants to do in me? Am I too busy looking elsewhere? And I'm not looking in the mirror and saying, God, what do you want for me? What sin in my life is holding me back from embracing your plan for my life? Where am I holding off your grace so that I can be king? Let's give that to the Lord today. Let's serve by the strength that he supplies, the grace that he gives. If we've grown lazy in our, in our Bible reading or prayer, do we not realize what's available to us each and every day? Run to the word. Spend time in prayer. Spend time praying with your spouse for God's kingdom to come in your home and work through you in your home and to your neighbors and to our community. Let's pray for the lost nations around the world where billions have never heard the name Jesus. So our mission continues to this day. Let's stand let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, this day is yours. We are yours. Our praise is yours. And God, we know that you, you can dwell anywhere. You are everywhere. You are the all-present God. You're omnipresent. And yet you choose to make your home with us, with your children. And we have only Jesus to thank for that. So we praise you, Jesus. We love you. We celebrate the grace that is ours in Christ. And I pray if there's anyone here today that does not know you as Savior, today would be the day where they respond to that invitation to come. And Lord, I pray for those of us who are not fully living out your plan for us. Forgive us, Lord. We get distracted. We're sinful. We, we are wandering sheep. And we'd like to turn back to you today. Help us to do so and continue to take those positive steps. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.